Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're ready to study the Bible with you, and we're glad that you've tuned in today to learn a little bit more about the Bible. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain what we do here. Uh, We answer viewers' questions. A little unusual for religious TV programs, but that's what we do. We think that's the best way for uh, you to find out what you'd like to know about the Bible, and hopefully we'll get you interested in studying the Bible a little bit more. So uh, we take questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about and see if we can find you an answer in the Bible. I'm Steve Tandy, and I've got two other gentlemen that uh, answer questions ably. Hello, Toby Levering. Good, Good morning. morning, Steve. And Jeff Martin's down there. Hi, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. Glad Hi. you guys are both here and ready to go. Uh, viewers always get the first question, so here's your viewer question. Uh, who was chosen to replace Judas as an apostle? And you get two choices, Barsabas or Matthias. And that's the two choices that they had in the first century was uh, those are the two men who were nominated and which one got picked. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Looks like Toby gets to roll things off here. So yes, sir. What's your view The after? question is, why did David say he had sinned only against the Lord when so many other people were hurt by his sin? Well, David did say that. Let's look at where it's found in Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 4. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David here is in this psalm expressing his uh, repentance. He's very contrite. He's very just, you know, ever have a time in your life when you've just messed up and you come to that realization and there's really no one you can point fingers at except the person in the mirror? That's where David is. And he is crying out to God, uh, confessing that sin, confessing his wickedness for committing adultery with Bathsheba for all of the resulting sins that followed. And so your question is, well, how could he say it was just against God that he sinned? There were lots of people involved with that. And how how did he not, was he not aware of those things? Did he not take that into account? I'm sure that David did. But David was a man after God's own heart. David knew that first and foremost, sin violates our relationship with God. Any sin from something you would consider relatively small to something great in nature 
all of it violates our relationship with God. It was true in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and then they realized their nakedness and they hid from God where previously they had walked with God uh, there in the garden. Uh, When Joseph was tempted to sin uh, by Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39, he makes this remark. He says, he is not greater in this house, referring to Potiphar, uh, in this house than I am, nor has he kept me from anything except you because you are his wife. Now, think about that. Joseph knew if he committed, if he, if he uh, uh, gave in to this temptation, that he would have been sinning against Potiphar. He would have been sinning against a lot of people. But what does he say? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So people of God understand the nature of sin that, yes, it hurts you. Yes, it hurts other people. But first and foremost is a transgression against God Almighty. That's what sin is. All sin uh, is that way. And all people of God understand that at some point. So that's why uh, David made that confession because he knew he had to get back to the root of sin and the, the hurt that he caused. It all started when he violated what God wanted for him. So I hope that helps you understand just a little bit. A good question. All right. Viewers wondering about the Holy Grail. Says, was there an actual cup of Christ, the Holy Grail? Uh, That's kind of two questions. First question, was there an actual cup of Christ? Uh, Obviously, uh, Jesus drank out of a cup at the Last Supper. uh, So there was a cup that Christ used. Now, becoming the Holy Grail is a whole other story. Uh, And that's just a myth. Uh, there's absolutely no, uh, certainly no biblical uh, mention of it, but uh, best we can tell, uh, lots of stories started uh, kind of in the dark ages about this holy grail. And there's so many different stories that you can find all kinds. Uh, you read the Da Vinci Code novel, and it's got the holy grail in it, and then uh, any King Arthur stories have got the holy grail in it. Uh, Best we can tell, that kind of came up in the Dark Ages, and the best story, or the most popular story maybe, is that somehow Joseph of Arimathea ended up with the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And in addition to that, he used it to catch some of the blood from Jesus on the cross. Uh, Later, Joseph's descendants took the cup to England, and it got lost there, and uh, that's when the Knights of the Round Table started searching for it because it was the source of divine power. Now, all that's mythology, all that's just uh, fiction. Uh, interesting story, but absolutely nothing to do with the Bible or, or history. Uh, a couple of things to think about when you wonder about stories like that. Number one, uh, the cup, if the Holy Grail existed, uh, the cu- a cup is not the source of divine power. Uh, we know where the divine power comes from. It's God, and it's never been placed in an object like that that we can uh, get and somehow possess that power. So shouldn't worry about that. Uh, secondly, if you notice, uh, there aren't any historical artifacts around. And I know there are few supposed ones. The head of John the Baptist is in this place or the bones of this saint or somewhere. Uh, But as far as the cross and uh, the cup and Jesus' clothes or anything like that, they don't exist. And I think there's a reason for that. 
uh, I think God made that happen because if we had something like that that we could prove was really from that time, uh, the human inclination would be to worship it. And I think God made sure we didn't have anything like that to worship. I mean, think about it. We make up a myth about the Holy Grail and people <laughs> spend way too much time worrying about it uh, instead of living the Christian life. So no, Holy Grail is a myth, not out there, so you can quit looking for it. <laughs> Pretty interesting. But it's yeah, it's a there. good story. Yeah. Okay, I've got the next one. Is there any way Satan could be saved even if he repented? Uh, the best place to start here is to just figure out who Satan is. And the way we do that is by going to the Bible and getting a biblical description. Uh, we don't have time to go through each verse, but let's look at the adjectives and the descriptive words that are used for Satan in the Bible. Uh, says he is called the enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, a murderer, a deceiver, proud, wicked, violent, a schemer, and a thief. Uh, so obviously the Bible is, is not looking on Satan favorably. Satan is against God, is against God's plan, is against everything that has to do with God. And Satan at one point made that choice to not be an angel of God and a servant of God. Uh, but at odds with God. Uh, it's also important to point out that Satan knew the glory of God, was around God, was in the presence of God, and still chose to rebel, uh, which is very different than it is for humans. Also, the Bible, when we read the Bible, it gives us a plan for human salvation. Uh, it doesn't say anything about the salvation of Satan or angels or anything like that. Now, there, there might be something there, but the Bible doesn't tell us anything at all uh, that lends itself to something like that. In 1 Timothy, uh, it tells us that God had angels that were loyal to him, that were his elect. Um, but based on what we know about Satan, it's safe to say that he is not part of that group. Um, so we don't know for sure. Uh, I, we don't know for sure if this couldn't happen, but based on what we know about Satan, what we know about angels, and what we know about God, I would consider it highly unlikely uh, that Satan would repent, number one, uh, and that he could be saved. Okay, yeah, I was thinking while you answered that, Jeff, that we get hypothetical questions yes. every once in a while. What if? And uh, this is probably the biggest hypothetical ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, what after what Satan did and who he is, uh, probably not going to happen. Right. <laughs> Let me take this moment and uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, if you've been watching this program long, you know that we are in favor of Bible study. We like to do it with you here on the program, and uh, we like to encourage our viewers to do it on their own because the Bible is God's book. So uh, we also know that a lot of our viewers are really good at Bible study, and uh, some haven't got started yet. So we've got some tools that we think are great ways to get started and form a habit of Bible study. Uh, here's an eight-lesson set that's just a good introduction to the Bible. We'll send you those one at a time and uh, score them for you and send you send them back. Uh, once you get through that course, we've got some other courses that are a little more uh, detailed, longer, and in-depth. And uh, You can learn a lot of Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, for years, we've used these print 
courses, and uh, recently we've added some online courses so you can study digitally if you want. Uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, we'll get you started with some courses that uh, you can also learn a whole lot of Bible from. So those are our offerings. We've got a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use that anytime you want and tell us, I want that free course. We'll get it started for you. If you want to do it online, uh, just log on to that oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, we'll get you started studying the Bible. All right, Toby. A simple, easy question, uh, one of those why God questions. Why did God create man? You know, on occasion we do get these kind of questions that begin out with uh, why God. And I always give the, the warning that any time we get into that uh, area, we are in dangerous territory because it presumes that we would know the full mind of God, which of course we don't. So we rely on Scripture. Genesis 1:27 says that God created man in his own image, in the image of God. Uh, he created him, male and female, he created them. But the question is deeper than that. Why did God do this? Well, uh, to that, we I think the very simple answer is to glorify God. Uh, there are some scriptures throughout the Old and New Testament, but let's look at one, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 from the ESV says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. So when you think about male and female, all human beings that have ever lived or that live now or that will, uh, God creates them for a reason and purpose, but principally above all the things that they'll do and achieve, our goal is, our purpose is to glorify the Lord in all that we do, uh, to know Him, to love Him, and to enjoy Him forever. Um, there's one other verse from Ecclesiastes that I thought of uh, at the end of the book, the wise man Solomon says this. He's gone through all of these endeavors in life. He says, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So if if why we're created is to glorify God, then this you might look at as the how, we, to fear God and to keep his commandments. And when we do that, we glorify him. Uh, that's a, a simple answer, but I'll say very very shortly that uh, our primary purpose is to glorify God, to revere Him, and to obey Him. I hope that helps you. Right, I got a question that uh, appears fairly frequently on Know Your Bible, <laughs> so if you've been watching a long time, I'm sure you've heard it before, but it get asked, gets asked <clears throat> a lot. What is the unpardonable sin? Uh, people talk about the unpardonable sin, and lots of folks want to know what it is. Uh, we occasionally mention the old joke that people ask that for two reasons. Uh, some people want to know what it is so they won't do it, uh, and other people want to know what it is so they can do all the others. Uh, <laughs> the unpardonable sin, that sounds like, man, if I just knew what that was, uh, and I, I wouldn't do that, I'll be all right. Well, the Bible kind of mentions an unpardonable sin, but we often mistake it for uh, something that we can do, one thing that can happen, and everything's lost. Let's look at the verse where Jesus is talking about it. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Uh, he says, Therefore I tell you, <coughs> every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, so some folks read that and say, okay, there it is. It's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit uh, that will never be forgiven. Okay, to understand Jesus' talk there, you've got to understand the context. And in the context, Jesus had uh, just healed someone, <clears throat> and the Pharisees and scribes and all them saw it. They knew he had done a miracle, but they didn't want to admit he did it by the power of God. So what they came up with is said, well, he did a miracle, but he did it by the power of Satan. Okay. So what they were denying was the power of God, uh, that the Holy Spirit had acted in healing this man. So Jesus said, all right, you can speak against me. You can blaspheme me and all that. Uh, but if you blaspheme the Spirit, if you deny the power of God, then you can't be forgiven. Now, understand he was talking to Pharisees and others of that day who didn't know the whole story yet. Uh, they were dealing with Jesus, the man, and what his was doing and his miracles. But they didn't know yet uh, what we know. They didn't know that he was going to be crucified on the cross, be put in the tomb, and three days later rise from the dead. Okay. Now, today, if we look at that story and understand what the Bible says and say, no, I don't believe that, uh, deny that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, then there's no hope for us. Uh, the Holy Spirit not only uh, raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit prepared the Bible for us. It's the source of all of our knowledge. And if we look at the Bible and say, now, that's just a bunch of foolishness written by a bunch of men, uh, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Well, then what hope is there? Uh, that can't be forgiven because there's no forgiveness if you don't believe the Holy Spirit. So I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell tell them that, uh, okay, you can question my miracles, you can doubt this or that, but when you see the full power of the Holy Spirit, if you deny that, then you, you can't even get started. There, there's no forgiveness for that. So that's where we have to start in this life is understanding that the Bible's true, that the Holy Spirit prepared it, that the miracles are real. Uh, and that Jesus did rise from the grave, and then we've got a chance to start uh, on our uh, path to believing Jesus and trusting in him. But I think that's what he meant, so that's what the unpardonable sin is, is denying the power of God. Jeff's up next, I think. Okay, yep, got one about one of the Ten Commandments. The Fourth <clears throat> Commandment says to keep the Sabbath holy why don't we do that today? And some some do that today, uh, but I would guess you mean why don't we say you have to do that today? Why is that not one of the things that we are required to do? Um, the best place to start is in the early chapters of Acts, and you can see that for the first time, uh, Gentiles are, are given the, the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ and to become Christians. And the Jews are trying to figure out what aspects of the law that the Gentiles should follow. The Jews are used to the law, all of the law. They know it. They know how to follow it. Uh, the Gentiles don't. They're, they're brand new to the law. So if you look at Acts 15, and this won't be on your screen, but what was called the Jerusalem Council, 
decided that they weren't going to overburden these new Gentile converts, uh, these new non-Jewish converts, with the entirety of the law. Uh, and they told them to do three things, to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, and not to eat the meat of strang strangled animals. Uh, so it stands to reason that if keeping the Sabbath was one of those things, then it would have been included uh, in this part of the Bible. Uh, now the best biblical description or the best biblical answer I can come up with is found in Colossians 2, 16 through 17. So let's look at that together. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if you look in the Old Testament, all of these laws that you see, all of these rules that you see were just a shadow when compared to the fulfillment of that law through the holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, it was nothing compared to the world that they were living in now where Gentiles could become believers and where the law had been fulfilled. Now, can a Christian hold to the Sabbath as, as a day of rest? Yes. Uh, is this a good thing? Would I recommend it? Yes. Uh, but one thing we should avoid is judging those who don't and particularly putting the burden of the law on someone who is, is free in Christ Jesus. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. Uh, many of you are getting ready for church right now and uh, have a church of your choice and uh, attend regularly. And uh, Some of you are watching this program as you recorded it while you were at church, but uh, we know we've got a lot of viewers that don't have a church home that uh, maybe think that'd be a good idea to be a part of a body of Christ, and we agree. So we invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you, and we like to mention some of our supporters each week, uh, the church in Emporia, Kansas, and the church in Eureka, Kansas, are both supporters of this program and great groups of folks that uh, uh, study and think about the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. So we'll put those names out there. If you live in those communities or close to them and looking for a church home, drop in. Uh, if you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in Emporia or Eureka, you might mention to them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible. So visit the Church of Christ somewhere. All right, Toby, what's uh, your viewer after here? Uh, yes, the question is, are our days numbered? And I think the answer to that is yes. We don't know how many days we have and what that number is. But, of course, human beings are finite. We are finite creatures. Um, uh, compared to an infinite God. So God's outside of time. He has no uh, beginning days or end. Human beings do. If you go to a cemetery and you look at the headstones, you often pay attention to the day they were born and the day they died and figure out how long they lived and what, how full of a life they, how long of a life they lived. But the scripture is pretty clear that we do have uh, a number of days and uh, it seems to be a number known only by God. Um, uh, let's look at a couple of verses from first from Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wise people understand that we have a finite amount of time, and so we have less time in our lives than we've ever had up, up to this point, and tomorrow will be even less. Uh, if we think about that, it encourages us to 
get busy doing the things that God has us to do. Uh, be purposeful. Be intentional. Don't waste your time. Uh, be a good steward of the time that you've been given. So that's important. And wise people absolutely have this sense of how limited uh, their time is. And so they don't just allow anybody to meet with them. And they don't uh, waste their time on frivolous things because they know with each passing second they're running out. Um, David wrote this in Psalm 139, verse 16. He says, Your eyes, speaking of God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, I don't personally think there's a literal physical book, but the idea is that, you know, there's a certain number of days we've been allotted, and that's only known by God. And so, yes, I do think our days are numbered, and if we're wise, we, of course, we can't know the number, uh, but if we're wise, we treat each day important, and we treat each day with intention and purpose and do our best to do the will of God in each and every day that we're given. Hope that helps. All right, Dave. You were wondering about how we keep time, I guess. Uh, According to Scripture, when is the day supposed to start? Uh, well, let's just go back to the very beginning when God started time. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. All right, that's what God created. He created light and darkness. He put the uh, sun and the moon and the sky and the planets to regulate time and all that. Uh, he said that's what it was for, was to establish seasons and days and years. So God started all that. Now, he did not then go on and specify, all right, I'd like there to be 24 hours in each day, and I'd like you to count time from midnight to midnight or He didn't say start counting the day at noon, or he didn't give us any of those details. Uh, Humans have come up with that over the years, and if you look up the history of uh, time, you can find that the Greeks and the Romans and the Mayans and all sorts of people watched the planets, they watched the sun, uh, they figured out uh, the time clock that God had set in motion. And over the years, eventually, we ended up with, let's call it 24 hours in one rotation around the sun. Uh, And and all of that just kind of came about. Now, our viewer says, when does the day start? Uh, The Jews in Jesus' time uh, counted time from basically sunup. So around 6 a.m. was sunup. So 9 o'clock in the morning, they'd say that's the third hour. Uh, noon would be the sixth hour where they counted time. Uh, the standard in the world today is 24 hours and a day starts at midnight uh, and goes through till the till 11.59.59 actually. Uh, and then midnight is zero again and we start over. So uh, God didn't specify all that. He just set the whole thing in motion and we've figured out how to count time and when to call a day. So according to the scriptures, starts with daybreak. Uh, according to convention and culture today, starts at midnight. Let's make sure we get a trivia question answered today. And it is about the selection of the new apostle after Judas died. 
They nominated Barsabas and Matthias, and the one that was chosen was Matthias. Uh, the apostles chose him, but actually the Holy Spirit chose him. They cast lots. Acts one twenty six tells you about that. Glad you've been with us today. We're going to come back next week and answer some more questions. Hope to see you then. Until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.